welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world. If some of us are not there yet though, it's okay, but continue the inner work and remember, when we begin to look beyond the illusions that we face every day in this life, whether negative or positive, and focus more on the presence of God within us, the love of our mighty I Am Presence, then will we begin to feel and be more loving towards ourselves and others, which is, after all, our natural state of being. And by renewing our thoughts and minds, those old negative ways and conditionings to those of a higher calling, we begin the process of our own ascension into the Christ consciousness of life and perfection. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. The whole man, spirit, soul, and body, must be lifted up into the Christ consciousness of life and perfection, which is the goal of man's existence. The Western world in general looks on re-embodiment, or reincarnation, as a heathen doctrine. Many people close the door of their minds to it, without waiting to find out what message it may bring when interpreted in the light of truth. It is the object of this article to set forth the unity teaching concerning reincarnation, to show why we consider it reasonable and to explain its relation to, and its place in, the Christ doctrine. The teaching of Jesus is that all men shall, through him, be made free from sin and be saved to the uttermost, spirit, soul, body. But until this salvation is attained, there is death. To give men opportunity to get the full benefit of salvation, life is necessary, and a body through which to express life is also necessary. So, when man loses his body by death, the law of expression works within him for re-embodiment, and he takes advantage of the Adam method of generation to regain a body. Divine mercy permits this process in order that man may have further opportunity to demonstrate Christ's life. But generation and death must give place to regeneration and eternal life. The necessity of rebirth must, therefore, pass away with all other makeshifts of the mortal man. It will have no place when men take advantage of the redeeming, regenerating life of Christ and quit dying. Re-embodiment should not be given undue importance, because it is merely a temporary remedy to be followed by the real, which is resurrection. The whole man, spirit, soul, and body, must be lifted up into the Christ consciousness of life and perfection. Jesus teaches that rebirth or reincarnation is the unifying force of nature at work in its effort to restore man to his original deathless estate. Man, through his disregard of the law of life, 
brought death upon himself, as taught in the third chapter of Genesis. But a single span of life, from the birth of an infant to the death of an old man, does not constitute all of man's opportunity for living. Life is continuous and in harmony with the wholeness of being, only when it is expressed in a perfect body, hence man must have a body in order to gain an abiding consciousness of life. Through repeated trials at living, man is finding out that he must learn to control the issues of life in his body. The objections that the natural man raises to re-embodiment arise largely from the fact that he lives in the personal consciousness and cannot see things in the spiritual and universal. He thinks that by re-embodiment he loses his identity. But identity endures. Personal consciousness does not endure. The personal man is not immortal, and he dies. This is clear to anyone who is willing to give up his belief in the reality and importance of the personal consciousness. The personal man with all his limitations, all his relations, must give way to the universal, the Christ man. The privilege is ours to give up or forsake everything, father, mother, husband, wife, children, houses, lands, for Christ's sake and so enter into the consciousness of eternal life. By doing this we come into the realization of eternal life and receive a hundredfold more of the very things that we have forsaken. If we refuse or neglect to make this sacrifice and prefer to live in the narrow, personal way and cling to the old personal relationships, there is nothing for it but to meet the result of our choice and to sever all those relations by death. It is just a question of giving up a little for the all and gaining eternal life. So, if re-embodiment frees one from the old, personal relationships, it is not such a dreadful thing after all, for it gives us new personal relationships. Rising out of these into the universal is a work that everyone must do willingly for himself. Death and re-embodiment do not give redemption. Reincarnation serves only as a further opportunity to lay hold of redemption. The pure, incorruptible substance of spirit, built into the organism through true, pure, spiritual thought and word, makes the body incorruptible and eternal. As the mind changes from error to truth, corresponding changes take place in the body, and the ultimate of these changes is perfection and wholeness in every part. Therefore, those who are trying to lay hold of eternal life have ground for their faith in the promise that they will be saved from the grave. Knowing that spirit, soul and body are all necessary to man and that he cannot truly be said to live except in their conscious union and expression, the error of believing that death is the open door to a higher life, the gateway to heaven, is easily seen. There is no progress in death. Death is negation. The demonstration of eternal life can be made only in life, soul and body together working out the problem and together being lifted up. Since consciousness has no power to lift itself out of ignorance and sin, so the mere matter of repeated births has not taken the race forward. It is the descent of spirit from time to time, as the people have been able to receive it, that has made all progress. As men's growth has made it possible, new truths have been discerned and new dispensations have come. When the time was ripe, Jesus came and brought the good news of salvation from death. But his words had to work in the race consciousness for nearly 2,000 years before anyone was sufficiently awakened and quickened to believe in a complete redemption and to strive to lay hold of it. The promise is that the leaven of the word will finally leaven the whole of the human family and that all people will come into the light of spiritual life. From the standpoint of creative mind, it is plain that re-embodiment serves a purpose in affording opportunities for spiritual development. All that is gained in spiritual growth in one's life experience becomes part of the individual's real identity, and if he is faithful, he will finally gather such a store of spiritual power and wisdom that he can demonstrate salvation of his body through Christ, who is able to save to the uttermost. 
but we would repeat, reincarnation is only an opportunity. The hour, now is. Right now, the resurrection work is going on, and men and women are awakening to a new consciousness of life, understanding, and bodily perfection. This resurrection work must extend at every member of the Adam race, whether he is what we call alive or whether he, as Jesus said of the dead, sleeps. All must be awakened and be unified in soul and body. Many of the present-day ideas of resurrection have come down from past centuries of ignorance and have been accepted without question because they seem to be supported by a literal interpretation of certain Bible texts. But in these, as in all scripture, we should go back of the letter and see the spiritual meaning of the parables and the symbols used to teach the truth about the raising of the dead. Thus, we shall find unfolding day by day in ourselves the awakening and resurrection of thought that we once supposed would come in a single day to the bodies of those in the grave. When this raising of our dying and dead thoughts has gone far enough in us, we shall find ourselves gradually slipping into continuous health, that is, we shall realize that our bodies are self-renewing and therefore naturally immortal. Such a mighty and far-reaching work would be included in the promise, greater work than these shall he, man, do. Mention is also made in John's Gospel, King James Version, of the resurrection of damnation. Damnation is condemnation. Paul makes it very clear that, by Adam's transgression, condemnation came on all his race. As death has no power to help anyone, the condition of the Adam man is not bettered by dying. Therefore, when people are re-embodied, they come forth, unto the resurrection of damnation, in other words, condemnation or correction. Everyone begins where he left off. But though one may have died in condemnation and been re-embodied in that state, he has opportunity, when re-embodied, to come up into Christ, in whom is no condemnation, identify himself with the Christ race, and demonstrate through him the deathless life. So is proof the divine justice of including all in sin in Adam, that all may be delivered in one, even Jesus Christ. Keep a True Lent, by Charles Fillmore, 1953. enforced and illustrated his doctrines with signs and wonders, and if we lay aside the claims advanced on his behalf by his defiers, he did but what other Kabbalists did, and only they at that epoch, when, for two centuries the sources of prophecy had been completely dried up, and from this stagnation of public miracles had originated the skepticism of the unbelieving sect of the Sadducees. Describing the heresies of those days, Theodoret, who has no idea of the hidden meaning of the word Christos, the anointed messenger, complains that they, the Gnostics, assert that this messenger or delegatus changes his body from time to time, and goes into other bodies, and at each time is differently manifested. And these, the overshadowed prophets, use incantations and invocations of various demons and baptisms in the confession of their principles, they embrace astrology and magic, and the mathematical error? He says. This mathematical error, of which the pious writer complains, led subsequently to the rediscovery of the heliocentric system, erroneous as it may still be, and forgotten since the days of another magician who taught it, Pythagoras. Thus, the wonders of healing in the tombs of Jesus, which he imparted to his followers, show that they were learning, in their daily communication with him, the theory and practice of the new ethics, day by day, and in the familiar intercourse of intimate friendship. Their faith was progressively developed, 
like that of all neophytes, simultaneously with the increase of knowledge. We must bear in mind that Josephus, who certainly must have been well informed on the subject, calls the skill of expelling demons a science. This growth of faith is conspicuously shown in the case of Peter who, from having lacked enough faith to support him while he could walk on the water from the boat to his master, at last became so expert a thaumaturgist, that Simon Magus is said to have offered him money to teach him the secret of healing and other wonders. And Philip is shown to have become an etherbat as good as Aubrey of Pythagorean memory, but less expert than Simon Magus. H.P. Blavatsky Neither in the homilies nor any other early work of the apostles, is there anything to show that either of his friends and followers regarded Jesus as anything more than a prophet. The idea is as clearly established in the Clementines. Except that too much room is afforded to Peter to establish the identity of the Mosaic God with the Father of Jesus, the whole work is devoted to monotheism. The author seems as bitter against polytheism as against the claim to the divinity of Christ. He seems to be utterly ignorant of the Logos, and his speculation is confined to Sophia, the Gnostic wisdom. There is no trace in it of a hypostatic trinity, but the same overshadowing of the Gnostic wisdom, Christos and Sophia, is attributed in the case of Jesus as it is in those of Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. These personages are all placed on one level, and called true prophets, and the seven pillars of the world. More than that, Peter vehemently denies the fall of Adam, and with him, the doctrine of atonement, as taught by Christian theology, utterly falls to the ground, for he combats it as a blasphemy. Peter's theory of sin is that of the Jewish Kabbalists, and even, in a certain way, Platonic. Adam not only never sinned, but as a true prophet, possessed of the Spirit of God, which afterwards was in Jesus, could not sin. In short, the whole of the work exhibits the belief of the author in the Kabbalistic doctrine of permutation. The Kabbalah teaches the doctrine of transmigration of the spirit. Mosai is the revolution of Sath and Hepel. Tell me who it is who brings about the rebirth, the revolution? Is asked of the wise Hermes. God's son, the only man, through the will of God, is the answer of the heathen. God's son is the immortal spirit assigned to every human being. It is this divine entity which is the only man, for the casket which contains our soul, and the soul itself, our behalf entities, and without its overshadowing both body and astral soul, the two are but an animal do it. It requires a trinity to form the complete man and allow him to remain immortal at every rebirth or revolution, throughout the subsequent and ascending spheres, every one of which brings him nearer to the refulgent realm or eternal and absolute light. God's firstborn, who is the holy veil, the light of lights, it is he who sends the revolution of the Delegatus, for he is the first power, says the Kabbalist. The Numa, Spirit, and the Dunamis, Power, which is from the God, it is right to consider nothing else than the Logos, who is also first begotten to the God, argues a Christian. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 16 Beloved ones of our hearts, beloved ones of the heart of the world, beloved ones of the sacred fire's heart of the supreme love from the heart of creation, the beloved I am presence and the ascended host that must come into this world, take its dominion, expand its sacred fire love, and forever close the door on the existence of anything else. 
In the awareness of our presence as you move among outer world conditions, will you find many times, people of the outer world becoming aware of the angelic host. And you need not be surprised if you hear those of the outer world mention the presence of the angels, or an angel, as the consciousness of the people is turned to the great divine beings who draw the sacred fire to this earth for its purification, freedom. The angelic host are those who are the cosmic law's action, presence, and power of the sacred fire's love to bring it into existence everywhere in the physical world, everywhere in infinite space. The whole service and outpouring of the life of the angelic host is at all times, not only the radiation, but the conscious projection of the sacred fire of our love. I want to make clear to you tonight the condition that we have to handle from the inner standpoint, and of which mankind knows almost nothing. Many times, the battles in the feeling of individuals, the battle of each other against each other, through the feeling of resistance, or discord of any kind, even when the intellect knows that the sacred fire love is necessary to handle conditions in order that you may survive, still the feeling will not give way. The feeling has been charged so long with the energy of resistance and battle and irritation and discord, that when one feels intensely the discord others have generated, and there is so much destruction charged into the lower atmosphere of earth, the outer self feels helpless about calling forth the sacred fire's divine love to solve the situation, to prevent wrong, or to correct wrong, to dissolve limitation, and to prevent struggle. But tonight, I bring you a secret, and I trust you will understand the wisdom of it, so it will be easier for you to use the sacred fire's purifying love from the ascended master's octave to handle conditions in the physical world. Now many times, when your intellect knows that you want to handle a condition by your calls for the sacred fire love to purify and handle them, your feeling world doesn't want to do it. Your intellect may know it's correct, and that you ought to do it, but your feelings rebel like fury against even calling the sacred fire love into a condition to burn up what's wrong. So, this is the assistance we are offering tonight. When your own feeling is, as yet not purified from the resistance, and opposition many times surges everywhere in the outer world, try to call to us to release whatever sacred fire love is necessary to purify the condition that is torturing you. Now this will handle conditions between individuals when they don't agree. And I'm quite sure that there is plenty of time for you to practice this in the outer world, as you move among conditions that you contact every day. Beloved Archangel Michael, Sometimes the feeling of resistance or dislike is so terrific in the emotional body that it will not let what the intellect directs the outer self to do, the feeling won't let the outer self do it. Now this is our assistance to you, when the condition exists in which you feel so out of patience with people who won't do the right thing, that you just, sometimes, don't care whether you do anything for them or not, that's not the way to handle it. If you feel the opposition in the feeling world of others who will not do what's right, or will not cooperate with you, or even others, and you find this is in the governments of the world, you find it in business. Whenever you find that condition that is so heavily charged with energy that it just won't cooperate with what's right, turn to the angelic host, first to your beloved I am presence, to the I am presence of every human being connected with whatever the problem is, then call to the angelic host to blaze whatever cosmic Christ blue lightning purifying love is necessary into the energy of the condition, or the individuals connected with it, with whatever power is necessary to consume the human. Now you are not consuming bodies, you're consuming the human feeling, or rate of vibration that is the quality of resistance that will not do what's right. If you understand me tonight and will begin to use this, you will find it will be like magic to help you cooperate with things that you have to do in the outer world, so long as they be constructive. When you cannot handle your own energy, and I mean by that, 
feel kindly enough to call the law into action to consume what is wrong, when the personal feeling of battle is so heavily charged with energy that it's difficult for you to make the right application, turn to your beloved I am presence and to us, and ask that the legions of the angels of cosmic price blue lightning purity, and the violet flame love that is necessary, to consume all human feeling. As you are willing to call this into a condition, or in and around other people to consume what's wrong, your own beloved I am presence will pour the same thing into the energy of your emotional body, and that will help you to let go of the feeling of resistance or battle against the other person's feeling. This is an amazing secret, and if you will learn to use it, it will enable you to get along with people, and always draw the best out of them to cooperate with you. And it will also enable you to hold certain protection around yourself that will not have to deal with the qualities in the individual that are, as yet, not constructive. Beloved Archangel Michael, 